Reignite on RTE Radio 1 with AIB. It takes a certain kind of brave to run a business. We see it. We back it. In the past week, events in Afghanistan reminded us that progress doesn't move in straight lines. For many Afghans in the groups that I've mentioned, their lives changed overnight. And for women, especially women, dreams of self-determination, of an education, a career and an equal future evaporated. Mamouba Suraj, founder of the Afghan Women Network, spoke to Philip Boucher Hughes here on RTE this week. She was reacting to US President Joe Biden's assertion that the US was, to quote, surprised as anybody, end quote, that the Taliban retook Afghanistan in such a quick manner. Is he saying what? We go into a country, we stay there for 20 years, we get the woman on their feet, we get the country on its feet, whichever way, you know, we do that. And then at the end, we run out and we expect it to fall in the hands of the people that we've been fighting for 20 years and we don't even have any remorse. Is this the way the world is run now? What do they mean by this word, for God's sakes? What are they doing with the world, sir? Are they, are they, are they playing with all of us in our lives? Is that it? So today we'll still talk about cracking that ceiling, about banging on tables and breaking things. But in the back of our minds, we're holding the thought that opportunity is not equally shared. And while we in Ireland may be freer to seize the chances our society offers, not everyone can, at least not yet. Your thoughts are always welcome. You can text us on 51551. Email to reignite at rte.ie or tweet at reignite rte. Reignite on RTE Radio 1. So let's get stuck in. My first guest is Caroline Criado Perez, author of Invisible Women, Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. Caroline, you've been watching the videos of women protesting outside the presidential palace in Kabul. They've been holding up their handwritten messages, scrawled just on sheets of paper, and they've been chanting work education and political participation is our right. This week, it's been a reminder of just how quickly rights, which might have taken decades to fight for, can be quickly stripped away. Yeah, yeah, um, it's been horrifying to watch. And and as you say, I think a really important reminder to us of how we can't be complacent um, that our rights have been very hard won, um, and unless we are uh, unless we are vigilant, they can just be taken away. And you've been supporting a petition. I think at last count last night, it had about three hundred thousand signatures in the UK, asking the UK government as the G seven chair and a key NATO partner to provide. And they have a list of asks, but one of them is an accelerated asylum plan for Afghan women and girls who are most at risk. Do you think there is a moral obligation, be it the UK government here in Ireland, the Irish government, when it comes to Afghani women? Yes, I do. Um... I think that we have spent the past 20 years talking about how um, the empowerment of Afghan women is the reason behind the invasion, the reason behind why the military was there. Um, and, and now we just seem to be saying, actually, no, that doesn't matter anymore. Forget what we said about that. Um, and we have given so many young girls and young women who many of whom were born, you know, after the Taliban uh, were no longer in power. The hope that 
they could be who they wanted to be. They could do what they wanted to do. You know, you have the robotics, the team of girls who who uh, worked in robotics, um, young girls who took up skateboarding, um, and just girls who believed that they were going to be able to complete their education and get a job. Um, and now suddenly that's all up in the air. And it does feel to me that we have justified our actions by saying this is for the good of the girls and the women. Um, and if that's the if that's the case, then we need to follow through on that. And rereading Invisible Women, which last night in the context of this week with Afghanistan, like Invisible Women, the book, it's a dossier really on gender inequality. It describes in such painstaking detail data and detail, how parts of our world have really been designed by men for men in just so many cases. And last night I was struck by two things and I'm curious to know, like, why has progress been so slow when the the benefits of diversity are so clear? I guess that's part of my question, Caroline. Mm. And the other has been, if progress has been so slow up until now, like, how much does events this week set back the, the cause in general for women globally? Mm. Well, the reasons why progress is so so slow are are, are many. Um, partly, it's about money, as a lot of things are, as probably most things are. It's about money. Um, who has money, and therefore who has power? Um, so, for example, when it comes to designing for women, creating innovations for women, um, it is harder for women to get funding, and men tend to design products that will benefit men and women tend to design products that will benefit women. That's not, you know, an attack on men or anything like that. It's just a reality. Um, and, and the research does back this up. You tend to design things to create products and solutions that fit your own experience. You know, that is what causes that light bulb moment in your head. Um, and so if women aren't getting the funding, the very simple, um, answer is that, the, that those products just won't get made, those innovations just, just won't get made. But then, as you say, there's all this evidence of, of areas that we have where we do have solutions and we know what they would be. Um, for example, increasing diversity in the workplace, um, increasing diversity in, in, in the political sphere, um, and, and to take Afghanistan, you know, to return to Afghanistan as, a, as an example, one thing we've known for a very long time is that if you have uh, women included in peace negotiations, then the peace is much more likely to be long lasting and to actually work. Um, and what happened when the US engaged talks with the Taliban, there were no women present. Yeah. Um, so this peace that we are talking about very much in inverted comment, uh, commas, because it's hardly going to be peace for women who are beaten and, and imprisoned in their own home, um, is unlikely to work even for men. And yet we still go back to these old way of doing things. Similarly, I think if you look at what's happened across the world when it comes to the pandemic response, um, again, there is a lot of research going back a very long way that if you don't um, factor gender into your um, into your crisis response, um, <clears throat> you will make huge mistakes and you will cause um, all sorts of all sorts of problems because, of course, Men are not the only people who exist in the world. If you don't factor in women to your response, you will you will create um, gaps in your policy. And that's exactly what we found. For example, domestic violence rates went, went up all across the world when lockdowns were introduced, um, something that could have been easily avoided if, if countries had um, 
considered gender and sort of thought, well, if we're going to be locking people down, we'd better have some kind of policy to deal with those who will be therefore locked down with their own abusers. But we didn't do that because we weren't thinking about gender. And on that, that question of thinking about new policies, and you talked about design and your book is so powerful because it shows everything from pockets to seat belts, heart medications, room temperatures, how all of these have been designed with men in mind. And that's because it's using really data that does not distinguish between the sexes. And, you know, it, it sounds like we have to do a reset when it comes to data. If data is how, what informs policies and decisions, but that could take decades to rethink how we actually produce this data. But like, where where is an easy starting point for us when we think about design and data, Caroline? Well, I mean, it is literally just collect data on women. You know, that's it's as simple and as difficult as that. Um, Collect uh, data on women as well as men, because women, after all, make up 50 percent of the world and sex disaggregate that data. And that's actually a very crucial part of it, because often even if we are collecting data on women, we aren't necessarily sex disaggregating the data, which means separating the data by sex and then analysing the data separately. Because if you don't do that, you can still often miss um, important sex differences. And this is something that is important in all areas from, you know, economic data to public transport data um, and, and also particularly in medical data. And, and this is an area where um, so much of the data historically has been based on male bodies. And um, the result is that women receive uh, poorer treatment, um, take longer to be diagnosed for a whole range of diseases. Um, and, and sometimes are more likely to die uh, because we just know far less about the female body and, and how to treat the female body simply because we haven't been collecting and sex disaggregating the data. It sounds simple, but we know it could take decades to actually pull off. But um, thank you for that, um, Caroline Criado Perez. Thank you so much for joining us on Reignite. And just to say, Invisible Women is published by Chateau.